Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit TobinBrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Everybody and welcome to the show, made possible, of course, by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we have the company of a man who played 149 AFL games and kicked 296 goals as a major player in Adelaide's rise to premiership contention. But Josh Jenkins' journey isn't only about his numbers at the once high-octane and freewheeling crows. It's about how he got there. In fact, it was once written that his path to the AFL is worthy of a Hollywood movie script. Josh, hello. Welcome. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Sam. I think that uh, I think that's a bit rich. That's a bit wayward. That's some misleading, um, some misleading journalism, Sam. You need to pull your uh, brethren into line there. But it uh, it was a it was an interesting uh, interesting journey. That's all come to an end. It feels like it's gone way too quick. Well, I'm amazed. You fa- it was the Adelaide Advertiser, by the way, so we know where where they they hold the uh, the Adelaide Crows in very high regard. So uh, I'm, I was curious as to who was going to play you, or you might have even played yourself. But I'm amazed that you found the time to be with us, to be honest, because you made a seamless transition to the media since retiring last year. And every time I turn on the wireless, you're on it. Yes. Well, um, I've I've sort of understood that footy is not forever. In fact, it's only for a small portion of your life. I was lucky to to last or survive 11 or 12 years. That's only a small portion of your working life, Sam. So I, I sort of put the wheels in motion as to what life after footy looks like, basically uh, as I started. Yeah, even when you had the boots on, this was a path you wanted to take, wasn't it? So these days you're with SEN, of course, Sportsbet. you got a nice little podcast with Patrick Dangerfield called The Field and you're an assistant slash development coach with Geelong. These are busy times and that's without mentioning that you and the lovely Hannah are parents of twins. So it's it's all happening. It is all happening. It's uh, I do have a few, I uh, wear a few hats. It's Sometimes it's easier to be at work than it is to be at home with three kids under under three and a half. So um, people sort of, <laughs> oh, it's a win-win situation. I'm at work providing for the family, but I'm uh, I'm also avoiding the uh, bed bath routine, which can be uh, which can be troublesome is- as uh, as the twins are about 14, 15 months of age. But um, no, it's all happening, and I'm enjoying it. I wouldn't uh, wouldn't change any of it at the moment. This is a long way, I've got to say, from the strapping young man who prowled the streets of Swan Hill, though, isn't it? It is, it is, it is. I, I don't know that I was referred to as strapping too often when I was a Swan Hillian growing up, uh, growing up on the heart of the Murray. But it was, um, it was good times. I had a crack at everything. I've had more jobs, more jobs than I would like to recall. But um, I guess all those, all those experiences uh, help you and guide you along the way. What are your memories of childhood? Obviously, along, alongside your younger sister Jenna, your younger brother Jordan. What are your memories of, of growing up in Swan Hill? Um, oh, they're fond memories. They're um, they are very unique memories because I guess we, we well, I don't guess we definitely didn't have a traditional 
upbringing. We were raised uh, by a lady. So, you know, I was when I was born, my mum was, I think, 17. I think my dad was only 18. So I absolutely can understand what it would be like to have a child at that age. I mean, I was I was nowhere near ready to uh, to have a child. I would absolutely be petrified if I found out I was having a child when I was 18. So I can understand why they perhaps weren't ready to uh, to have or to bring a son into the world. So a uh, remarkable uh, lady who I'm actually not even blood relation to stepped in and took over myself and my sister and then later on my brother as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, we didn't really want for too much. We didn't have a lot, but we didn't want for too much either. I had a new pair of basketball shoes for every summer and a new pair of footy boots for every winter. So you know, when you're a sporty, sporty youngster, that's all you can really wish for. So that remarkable lady you speak of is Edith Casey. Now, you called her your grandmother, though. That's how you as kids referred to her. Am I right? Yeah, so she became – I'm not sure of what age. It was very young before I can remember. She became our uh, our legal guardian. So that's that's I guess that's why we called her grandma. Um, um, we weren't going to call her legal guardian uh, our whole <laughs> life. So, so um, and she wasn't uh, – she was a little bit too strict for us to call her Edith. So – so yeah, she um she took over basically um the the mothering and the fathering. Her her um her husband passed away uh, along the journey as well. So um so she took over everything and uh, she'd already had six kids of her own. Oh. She'd already fostered a few other kids in between her kids moving uh, growing up and us coming in. So uh, she uh she just couldn't stand being by herself. I think that is one amazing lady, discipline, but I imagine loving too. So when George, her, her late husband, passed on, I think it was mentioned that you were in year seven. So at 70, she's a sole parent of, of three kids, obviously year seven and lower. So what an incredible lady. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think she uh, she's unlucky not to be nominated for Victorian of the Year or something along those lines with uh, with what she's, she's put her hand up for and volunteered for and, um, you know... <laughs> There's nothing, nothing that, uh, nothing that she hasn't been willing to do. We always, we we lived our whole lives about ten or fifteen minutes out of Swan Hill. So my sister and I um, both played a lot of sport. So she was forever. I don't think there would have been a day where she wasn't doing trips in and out of town for for sport and for school and those type of things. So she was just a willing worker, and she's just one of those ladies. She was a dairy farmer, and she had. She had uh, six kids under seven years of age, and uh, and she milked milk cows by hand as well. So she's just one of those uh, remarkable people who just only knew work and hard work and um, she's always been that way. She's uh, 90. We went back for a 90th last year and oh. she still gets out in the garden and uh, and uh, slogs away. Pull me up here from prying too much, but when did you come to know your parents and do you remain in contact with them during your playing career? Were they, were they a part of your life at all? Um, I, I sort of had on and off relationships with both um, as, a, as a youngster would spend time probably more so at my dad's place when I was growing up. Um, but, I mean, I sort of had somewhat of a relationship with both of them in the early part of my, my footy career, but I've just dropped, um, we've just kind of dropped all sort of um, um, relationship and, and contact as well. So, I mean, I haven't really, or I haven't spoken to my dad for a fair few years now, and and my mum's not as long, but pretty much similar. So I mean, it's not, it's not, um, it's not something I'm proud of. I mean, it's not. I don't really take it too much or any of the blame for it, but um, it's not something I'm proud of. But it's not something I hide either. So it just it's just the way things go. I mean, um, 
Um, I'm not embarrassed by the situation. It just is what it is, Sam, mm. as they say. I guess now you can look at it with the perspective and the maturity uh, as an adult, which which probably helps you, but that isn't always the case. Kids can be cruel. I mean, did you have your moments growing up as a, as a, as a young fella, your angry moments or your, your moments where you wondered, why me and, and, and all that? Yeah, I, was, I, I certainly did. I, I became a creative uh, little soul. I used to, um, I, I remember used to, I ma- used to make a few excuses for my parents and say that grandma lived with us and she was just the uh, one that was able to drive us into town because I was working too often because I played a lot of representative basketball for Swan Hill and we'd, we'd spend, you know, endless weekends in Echuca and Shepparton and Bendigo and Melbourne and and, you know, clearly or most of the parents, mums and dads would spend all weekend and take, take, the, uh, take the youngsters to the, to the tournaments, whereas we would always have to, to, find a, um, to find a ride or jump in with someone. So no doubt there was periods where you'd be out for dinner or, you know, you'd be in between games and you'd be a little, um, you'd feel a little left out. But, I mean, a lot of those um, boys that I played with and a lot of the parents as well um, are people I still am very close with. So I think... Even though we were all so young, they they I think they were either understood the situation or were made aware of the situation by their parents and and uh, and made it I guess as as um, you know try not to have any awkwardness or anything like that involved and just made me feel like the. Uh, the uh, third wheel without the awkwardness. Yeah, and I imagine at the same time, sports your outlet in this regard as well, isn't it? Regardless of what it is. Yeah, I mean, when you're on the sporting field, it doesn't really matter what level it is. There's really no um, judgment except for how good you are at the sport and how, how you can perform and how you can help the team. And I was always, um, you know, amongst the best two or three or four on my team in basketball and footy. I mean, Swan Hill's not a, not a big town, so it's, no, it's not, uh, not the greatest feat in the world to be, to be the best player in your, in your team and from coming from Swan Hill. But... I always was able to gain a lot of respect and and have you know I guess make friends, particularly when you're young. People like to gravitate towards those who are the best at sport or the most popular and those sorts of things. So I'd like to think that you know me being um, one of the better basketballers and and I don't think I was was as good at footy. I was certainly one of the better standout basketballers, but being pretty good at sport allowed me to make friends a little bit more easily. Mm. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. After this, Josh Jenkins sets off in pursuit of a career on the court. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're chatting to former Crows goal kicker Josh Jenkins. So, Josh, you play footy growing up in Swan Hill, Lake Boga, but the NBA was your big dream, wasn't it? Yeah, perhaps a little too big, the NBA. I mean, we... When I was growing up, I, I think Andrew Bogut was just sort of making his way. But those who uh, who do follow basketball, there was a large gap between, you know, I guess, Luke Longley's feats and then what Andrew Bogut did. There was a few players who, um, you know, sort of just dipped their toe in the NBA, but there was no one. Not like it is now. We've got we've got Aussie basketballs all over the place dominating in the NBA. So 
and I guess the other factor was it just wasn't seen on TV. You can watch as much as you possibly can consume these days, but it was a it was pie in the sky. I guess you're a bit naive when you're that age. I, I thought I could make it to the NBA because I guess I didn't actually know how good how good they all were. So as I said, it was um, you become a little bit naive because you play basketball in a small town. You think you're the the bee's knees, and you go and play you know sail, and you bump into Scott Pennelry, and you bump into the Brown twins from Ballarat. You bump into these uh, guys who are as good at athletes and 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 as good at the sport as you. So I quickly learned that the NBA was uh, pretty unlikely. Yeah, but hang on. You you made, did you not, the under-19 national schoolboys team? Is that factually correct? I did, yes. I've, uh, I've donned the green and gold, so I'm uh, pretty <laughs> proud of that fact. I couldn't quite uh, become a dual All-Australian. I um, got close in footy, but couldn't quite make it. But um, I've still got the... The number fifteen uh, Australian under nineteen jersey hanging somewhere in the uh, in the closet. Yeah, so you had some ability. You moved to Townsville in your late teens as well, um, and you signed with the Townsville Crocs. Well, yes, sort I, of. Uh, I was a I was a participant at the uh, Townsville Crocs. We had the uh, now great Trevor Gleeson, who's won five or six championships with the Perth Wildcats. He was the Crocs coach uh, at the time. Not a not one for too many errors from young players, so I would um, <laughs> I wasn't the greatest. I, I really struggled with um, with just concentrating and being in the moment when I was 17, 16, 17, 18 in terms of what was needed. Basketball is a very specific sport. You run your offensive plays, you've got your de- defensive schemes, and I really struggled just to pick up the basics of of. I was a really good athlete, and I could. I had a lot of natural ability, but just the basics of, of um, team systems I struggled with. And it wouldn't take much to, to make a little bit of a blunder. And Trevor would say, off you go, son, back to the bench. And um, so I never actually got to don that, don the uh, Crocs colours in a game. But I am proud of the fact that I was um, was a development player. I was on the squad for in the squad for a couple of years. And I actually took a lot from the professional environment when I was able to to get into the AFL system, you know, three or four years later. And was it there, though, when you're up at the Crocs that GWS reached out about inviting you to a training camp? Did that happen around that time? Yeah, I mean, nothing ever eventuated, and I don't even really recall, but it was, a, it was I think GWS were basically just gathering as, as many um, athletes and players as they possibly could to have a look at them. I think they basically had a free, the free run of the country back then in terms of who they could find. So I never actually went to Sydney or did anything with the Giants, but it was just um, it was just something that 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 basically came up and disappeared as quick as it came up. But um, yeah, I guess I never, to be honest, I actually never had any AFL aspirations, or I had given up on AFL aspirations when I um, decided to pursue basketball. So it didn't work out at the Crocodile. So you went down to Mount Gambier and played for the Pioneers. But this isn't a happy memory, though, is it? This stint. No, no, no. That's um, that's good research on your behalf, Sam. It was a tough, tough little uh, stint in Mount Gambier. So I guess the way the basketball scene is, you, you know, the um, Mount Gambier were playing in the the SEABL back then, which I think they refer to as the NBL One now, which is just the equivalent to our VFL. But they they run those leagues. Um, they don't run those leagues parallel. They run you know in the off season of the NBL. So you know the the fringe NBL players and the sort of the the, the guys who aren't stars in the NBL find an NBL one team or an SEABL team, which is what it was called when I was there. And I ended up going to Mount Gambia, had never been there. Um, and um, I just, I, A, I didn't perform like I thought I would. And B, it was a really lonely place um, to be when you, when things weren't going your way, didn't have much money at all. And um, 
it was a really uh, difficult period. The guy I live with, he he quit the team and left in about round four, and I followed suit the next week. So we um, <laughs> we uh, we it was a short short lived stint in Mount Gambier. I think it was actually I was sitting on the bench after a game, and I think it was the West Gambia Demons. I, I stand corrected, but it was that someone from the Demons who came up to me and said, "Look, mate, we can pay you triple what you're getting paid to to play in this if you want to come and have a kick of the footy." And that kind of just Jolted by, you know, made me think, well, if that sounds good because I'm, you know, I'm struggling for money. I haven't got any money. I'm not getting anywhere. The basketball is not happening for me. But I thought, well, I can just go and do this back at home in Swan Hill. So I, um, I, uh, I just lobbed up back at home and um, gave up on the basketball basically in an instant. You did. You rejoined the Lake Boga Maggie. So 10 games. Now, I think it's fair to say Lake Boga, not exactly fertile recruiting ground. So how did you attract the attention of clubs playing there? Well, I did, and I just, um, I just went back and played, as I said. And it sounds a little, it sounds a little um, insincere, but I just needed the, uh, I needed a bit of coin, and that, you know, country footy clubs pay pay really well. And I mean, I was probably more wedded to going back and playing for Tin Tinder, the club I I debuted at when I was only fourteen or fifteen. Adam Kelly was a senior coach, who's now the football manager of the Adelaide Crows. So I was probably more lending myself to going back there. But, um, you know, things happen and I ended up going to Lake Boga and it turned out to be a really good move. But in terms of um, in terms of how the AFL stuff came apart, there was a TV show on late at night called Off the Bench, which I think Liam Pickering and maybe Danny Frawley was involved in. I think Hutchie was, of course, unsurprisingly involved in. And they went on a bit of a pursuit to try and find a country footballer who could make it to the AFL. Now, um, Isaac Smith was the one that they stumbled across mainly, but my name got thrown into the mix a few times as well. So um, they that show stuck up for me a little bit. There's a connection between the local radio station, who um, Paul Gadsden, who was the president of Lake Boga. He knows Liam Pickering and Hutchie a little bit. So there was a few favours called in and, um, a funny story with Pickers, which he later um, regretted a little bit. But, um, um, yeah, I mean, that's just that's just how it came about. I played 10 or 11 games, got asked to go and play a reserves game of footy for Frankston so some clubs could have a look at me and mm. got invited to the draft camp. You caught – I think at one stage you even caught the train down to meet with Collingwood, but that, that was a dead end. So you went to the state screening in the end, I think. Now, I think your state screening, correct me if I'm wrong, was on the same day – as the St Kilda Collingwood replay of 2010. Now, I think everyone just wanted to get to the game or to watch the game, but you managed <laughs> you managed to hold Adrian Dodoro's attention for a while, and he was impressed with your upbringing. Yeah, well, I um, it was on the replayed grand final, so there weren't there were a few clubs there, but not everyone was represented. <laughs> I remember, um, I think it was Neil Baum. I did I did the 20 meter sprint um, because there were genuine favours called in for me to to be invited to the draft camp because I wasn't invited, sorry, to the state combine. Mm. I wasn't invited. I think you needed two clubs to nominate you. I think Matt Rendell's told this story on Trade Radio. So a few clubs just sort of said, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do a bit of a favour and we'll get him invited. And I think I think it was Neil Barm. I did the 20-metre sprint. I did really, really well considering my size. And I think he referred to me as Dolph Londrum or whatever the character is off, yep. off the movies because he had no idea who I was. <laughs> Um, so I did really well there. I mean, Isaac Smith was the was the headline act um, at the draft camp, but I did tested really well. And I think when, particularly back then, when someone my size 
um, is able to athletically test to that level, the clubs automatically become a little bit more interested. So that's what happened. And the Bombers' interest was legitimate. So they took you via the rookie draft. Just the one season at Windy Hill. Now, you're 23, I think, at this stage. Patty Ryder's ahead of you, of course. David Hill's still going around. Tom Bell Chambers is in there as well. So you had to bide your time. How was your, your 12 months at Essendon? Absolutely loved it. I um, I was, I wouldn't say heartbroken, but I was devastated when it came time to leave Essendon. And I only left purely because of opportunity. The Crows... Um, I mean, I honestly, I didn't play a lot in the VFL. I spent plenty of time sitting on the bench. I had one really good game against Geelong at Windy Hill. I played um, quite well against the Cats down at um, Cadinia Park as well. Um, But I really didn't think I had done enough or or much to deserve another contract. I was able to play some NAB Cup footy for for Essendon, but I never really looked, well, I never got elevated off the rookie list. So you can't play when when you're still on the rookie list back then. So... I thought, you know, I think I'm just as likely to be done here as I am to be able to to, to progress. And in the end, surprisingly, Adelaide and I met with Gold Coast and um, yeah, f- a fair few clubs in the end were, were keen to give me an opportunity. And Adelaide come to me with a two-year um, opportunity on the senior list. Essendon only had room for me on the on the rookie list and I basically had to go. So, um you know, I was pretty pretty upset to leave, but I just had to do what was best for me at the time because I think one of the major reasons I was upset is because I'd really, you know, told the story already, bounced around a bit in Townsville and I spent time playing for Mackay and I've been to Mount Gambier and I'd really felt like getting to Essendon. And I lived with Heath Hocking, who was a great, he was a great um, mentor and person to to learn from. And I felt like I'd really found a, a bit of a, a bit of a home at Essendon. Um, so to have to leave was, was, uh, was upsetting, but I just wasn't going to get the opportunity and that wasn't their problem. That was my problem. So I decided to head to Adelaide. I'd never been to Adelaide, but I uh, flew over, got a medical, signed the contract and off I went. Sounds like a no-brainer. You with This Is Your Journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can find them online at tobinbrothers.com.au. So we'll take our cue from Josh. His AFL career is about to take flight at the Crows. That's next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with former Crows forward Josh Jenkins. So, Josh, the, the I guess the recruiting teams in, in the AFL landscape are fascinating, aren't they? So here you are playing VFL for Essendon, and as you admit, spending a fair bit of time on the pine, and yet Adelaide come with a two-year offer to put you on the primary list, which is a, a big leap for a club, but obviously they'd seen you somewhere. They were privy to some information. How did it sort of come about? Do you ever piece it together? Um, oh, somewhat. I've never really asked. I guess now that I'm finished, I could probably bump into Matty Rendell or when David Noble finishes his coaching career, whenever that may be, um, I, I could uh, could ask those guys. But I think there was some fortune. Uh, you mentioned the game where I played quite well against Geelong for Essendon. I think we were called the Bendigo Bombers, in fact, in the VFL. Yep. And I um, I kicked four or five goals and Brenton Sanderson filled in. I think he filled in as the as the senior coach that day. So he was, in a, he was an assistant for the Cats, who then went and got the Crows job. So I think a few things fell into place. Sando had sort of first-hand experience. He'd seen me 
you know, he thought, let's give him an opportunity. David Noble was in the recruiting team. I think he may have been the list manager. Matt Randell was the head of recruiting, Hamish Ogilvie. So went and met those guys at a cafe in, in Melbourne, in St Kilda somewhere. It's a, I still uh, tell David Noble, I thought he was the little geeky little uh, scribe. I, th- I just thought he was just a, a guy there to take notes. In fact, he was the big boss. So I still uh, I still take the mickey out of him <laughs> about that. But um, it was um, yeah, it was a swift swift transition. I remember you know, I was sort of on the phone with Hurdy, who was the uh, coach of the Bombers at the time, and then on the phone um, with the Crows guys. And I was really really torn. But in the end, and I was guided really well by my manager at the time. Said you've got to really look after yourself. Give yourself an opportunity to make it. And um, I think with about ten or so minutes to go in the trade period, I was I was shipped off to the Crows. So you get to Adelaide, you make your debut, AFL debut, round seven, 2012, against the Cats, funnily enough, at Amy Stadium, and you joined the first kick, first goal club, and it was a big win too. What do you remember of the game? <laughs> well, I remember they moved the game time forward or back, I can't recall, because Black Caviar was racing in Adelaide on the oh. day, so they shifted the start time of the game. Um, I remember being petrified. Um, I was never the toughest footballer around. I found a way to make make a living and, uh, and, and do my bit, but I was never, you know, I'm not a not a big uh, pack crasher and those types. Tom Hawkins and I still laugh about the fact that he's he uh, regards himself similarly. We're not big, uh, we're big, but we don't play big necessarily. So um, I remember playing, uh, being petrified because we did our opposition analysis, and you know, um, Sando and the coaches sort of said, "Oh, you'll probably get Matty Scarlett. He'll probably play on you." and Looked to intercept against Tippett and Walker, and I thought, "Oh, girl, this is going to go well. I'm going to be one and done here." <laughs> and um, and he was a late withdrawal, and the cats announced that they didn't get on the flight. He and Jimmy Bartow didn't get on the flight, so I was all of a sudden bouncing around, thinking I was uh, was going to feel pretty good. So I was lucky. Now I think I started on the bench and um, got a bit of a taste for it, and then got out there and yeah, lucky enough to take a big mark in the goal square, which I probably could have let go through for a goal. Towards goal, has it got enough on it? The first gamer. Jenkins is off the Essendon rookie list, the former basketballer with the Townsville Crocodiles, the 22-year-old, a dream start for him. But um, I marked it and I uh, kicked the goal. Um, ironically, from the goal square, Sam. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, you missed TAC Cup, though, and you, you went from Lake Boga to Essen, and then a year later you're playing AFL. I mean, it's a ridiculously rapid rise in so many ways. How long did it take you then to feel comfortable and like you belonged at the level? Well, I mean, I always, even when I was a kid, I, I was, I just, I just had this um, absolute and comprehensive confidence that I would be a professional athlete. Now, I didn't know which sport it was going to be in. Like I said, I've told the story. I thought it would be basketball. I thought it might have been footy. I wasn't sure, but I was always confident that I would make it one way or another. And um, basically in my second game, we played Carlton at uh, at Docklands and I played um, played quite well. I took plenty of marks. I moved around the ground really well and kicked a couple of kicked a couple of goals and I just felt really comfortable after that game and the big truck gets hold of it though that's a lovely kick by Rutten and Jenkins is on what can Jerker do here look at him he's having a bounce he's having two bounces Bowers closing he runs the fifty. beautiful finish oh wonderful what are the bombers thinking Tim well it was special here wasn't it well he bounced a right hand then left hand then goal on the run his other goal actually was on his non-preferred and you know I got dropped a fair few times you know after that I I got dropped you know four or five weeks later I got back into the team I 
just missed out on an opportunity to play in the prelim final that year. But I, I felt like that whilst I hadn't cemented my spot, that the AFL stand wasn't beyond what I was capable of. And I knew that I still had a lot of upside because of where I'd come from and my background and not having played a lot of footy. So I knew I had some work to do, but I knew that I had the ability. So you kicked 24 goals from 17 games in 2013 and then a remarkably consistent five or six year stretch. So 40 in 2014, 46, 62, 45, 46, and then 22 from half a season in your final year at Adelaide in 2019. So you were able to perform for a long period of time at the top level. Now, I wanted to talk about your attributes. You're 200 centimetres and 108 kilos, or the better part of. So I know you joke about how many goals you kick from the goal score, and if you don't, people will remind you of it. But that agility <laughs> and athleticism and your ability to get up and then back quicker than your opponent, that w- that was your strength. It was, yeah. I was able to, because of my size and I always had to, and I was a lot taller than than Taylor Walker, who I played alongside of for most of my career. So he's about 192 and I'm 200, as you said. So even though I wasn't the best um, overhead mark or contested mark, I always always ended up getting the taller opponent, no matter who, you know, whether they were considered the number one or the number two defender, I'd always get the taller opponent and Tex would normally get the more athletic. Or the uh, or the quicker and and uh, the defender that liked to play off the ground and a lot of those guys were were really strong and really competent in the air but they weren't really good runners and my strength was was sort of those 100 150 meter bursts and we played a game style with you know with um, Rory Laird and Brody Smith and those guys Brent Riley off half back Tom Lynch was a great kick so we played that game style where we would would turn it over in our sort of defensive um, third of the ground and then just really attack the attack the game either down the corridor or around the open side. And Eddie and myself and Tex and Charlie Cameron, Tom Lynch, Mitch McGovern, we'd just get on our bike and basically be a race back to the goal square. And for the most part, I was able to beat my man because um, because they typically weren't as weren't as quick. So um, I guess the end result and, and why people criticise a lot is they only see that last uh, link in the chain. Long ball now. One out is big boy, Josh. They are very nice set of hands. He's in good touch. One-on-one opportunity, McGovern. Oh, Big Jenkins, he loves his situation. Two goals in about 30 seconds. But what they, I guess they don't see is the, is the, um, the coaches these days, they don't let you just stand in the goal square. I can assure you of that. You have to get up and defend and be involved in the game. So um, it looks quite easy, but I can assure you it was uh, pretty taxing. The 62 goals in 2016, you were in the All-Australian squad of 40 that year. You were also at a contract that year. Now, Brisbane came with a big money offer. Now, it was five years, conservative estimate, $750,000 a year as per the reports, and yet you stayed. So how did that, how did that play out? It was actually six years, Sam. I'm happy to uh, reveal you didn't do your didn't do your homework back then. It was it was a large it was a large um, it was a large offer. It was one that really blew me away, to be honest. Most um, people try to play the offers down. Yeah, I mean, we're, it's all done. It's all done, yes, isn't it? Is, I mean, it the, the higher I make the offer, look, the uh, more loyal I look, don't <laughs> yes. I? But um, no, I, I always um, I gave it great consideration, but I always um, again I spoke of this about my time at Essendon. I always wanted to find somewhere where I felt really um, at home and at ease and had a place where I belonged and um, I had a really great endeavour to get my name on the locker at Adelaide or any whichever club I ended up I really wanted to get my name on the locker or you know on a, on one of the boards around the club because 
you know, whilst it means very little to those who walk through and who come and go, it um, it's there forever. So, you know, to play 100 games at the Crows, you get your name on the locker. Or if you you know you win a best and fairest or a leading goal kicking or whatever, you get your name on there forever. So that meant a lot to me. Um, I, you know, my, um, my now wife, Hannah, was very settled, had a great job in Adelaide. We had a house that we were very keen to, to stay in and we had a lot of fam, or she has a lot of family in Adelaide. So there were so so many reasons to um, mm. to stay in Adelaide. There was only really one reason to leave to go to Brisbane because they were really poor side at the time, and that was for money. And in the end, um, I thought I'm going to be really really happy on payday, but the other 29 days of the month, I might be miserable because the Lions were struggling at the time. Now we know that they got pretty good pretty quick, but at the time they were pretty average. What's the environment like in Adelaide, whether it be winning or losing, the interaction with a footy-mad public in a, in a two-team town? Is whether you're willing to go to the supermarket dependent on the results of the weekend? What, any interesting situations over your playing time there in Adelaide? Oh, yeah, sometimes. Not, not, you know, your, your, your general losses, um, it's, it's okay. You, you always expect some level of um, interaction, good or bad, and the thing about Adelaide, and for for every footy market, you know the good the good is good and the bad is bad. But in Adelaide, the good is way 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 too good, and the and the bad is way way too bad. So it's dictated too by how your team is performing. And we had two or three seasons where we were really really strong and playing, you know, probably the most exciting footy that's been played for a while. But I also played, you know. 2013, 14, um, 18, and 19, where we didn't make the finals, and we and we actually underachieved and end up having. I think I had three senior coaches when I was in Adelaide. So there is a lot of interaction with with um, with fans who who feel they have a right to find out what's happening. It's a small town. You know, I lived in Glenelg for a long time, so you sort of get to know people, and they recognise you, and they feel like they can come up and and um, make suggestions. And some people will just you know want to throw a bit of shade, and that's all right, but it does it does wear you down in the end um it's a pretty unique environment and um yeah it's certainly you know, having spent time here in Geelong it's a completely different set of circumstances so it's um it can be pretty full on we're talking to Josh Jenkins on this is your journey thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives we'll be right back after this you're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. And Josh Jenkins has been our guest today. Josh, 2017, an excellent season, save for one game, which just happened to be the last one against Richmond in the grand final. How does that game live on with you now? Oh, now it, it, it lives... It lives. Um, it lives okay. It lives quite comfortably with me. I'm proud of the fact that we made a grand final. It was. A, it was an. Inc- we had an incredible season um, at, at the Adelaide Crows in 2017. Now, most people only remember the grand final, and that's fair enough. But uh, I think as a, and I've stepped into this space now, so I'll remember this come grand final time. We definitely judged the grand final. Um, loses too harshly, and 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 that's what happened in our case. I guess we were well f- from memory, and I, I was a little bit um, removed from this because I was trying to focus on what we had to do. But we were considered the favourites, and we 
steamrolled everyone with the highest scoring team in the league. And we had a really high functioning forward line and we had all Australian midfielders. But the reality is we went to um, the home of the Tigers and faced the juggernaut and hindsight now suggests we ran into the start of a dynasty. So the loss actually wasn't as dramatic and as bad as it now would seem. But at the time, particularly in Adelaide, it was seen as an epic failure. So um the actual game, I'd love my time over again. I played an incredibly poor game and I probably well, I definitely saved. Uh, someone kindly reminded me I kicked a goal in every game that year except for the grand final. So I appreciate the statistic from that, um, that kind person. But um, now removed from it, not many people get the opportunity to play in an AFL grand final. I remember the parade and having family and friends travel four hours down the road from Swan Hill to come and, you know, say hello and be a part of it, um, go to the game and experience everything that um, that goes with it. So it, it's a pretty fond memory now. I mean, it was pretty raw for a while. And clearly, as a club, we didn't handle the loss um, at all well. But in terms of the season as a whole and getting able or being able to experience a grand final, you wouldn't change it. Would the power stance have got the airplay it has if you got up like it has given you went down? Well, I think it would have been um, considered an absolute masterstroke because we did implement it in the in the qualifying final against the Cats and then um, against the – sorry, I think we played the Giants in the qualifying final, then the, uh, the Cats in the prelim final, and we yep. did it both times. And the prelim final is the greatest night of footy um, I've ever been involved in. I actually, when we were in the hub in Perth, um, I actually sat back on YouTube and watched the whole thing because when you're a player, you don't get to experience – you know, the pre-game and the post-game and a lot of the celebrations and those types of things because you're just locked in. You sort of see the Premiership Cup as you walk off after you win and, you you know, you're in the ice bath and you're seeing the doctors and you're going home. So that was the that was one of the greatest uh, – what we, it was the greatest um, game or night of footy I've been a part of where we completely blew Geelong off the park. I think we're up by four or five goals early in the game and we never looked back. So – um, it is great to touch on those um, moments at different stages. But, yeah, I mean, the, the power stance would have been uh, considered a, a masterstroke had we uh, – had because we got off to a good start in the grand final as yeah, well. So yeah. maybe, it, uh, maybe it wasn't as stupid as it looked because uh, it definitely looked stupid. Very close to a flag. I mean, you won 17 games up a quarter time in that grand final, in the game at halftime, and, okay, blown away in the second half. So fast forward a few months. When did you know for the first time something was seriously wrong in 2018? Um, I mean, I, I like to think this is one of my strengths as a person. And um, 2018, uh, not many people – well, I mean, I regard 2018 as my, my best individual season, which um, I went from 2018 to the leadership group in 2019 – finished third in the best and fairest and played every game in 2018. And I mean, I could feel that we were underperforming. I remember we had countless meetings in hotels after bad, bad losses and we'd sit around and no one would really say much. And um, I remember we, we lost to Hawthorne one night at the MCG where we just we were just completely lifeless. We gave absolutely nothing and, um, and we sat around and no one said anything. And I remember getting quite emotional and pretty passionate and just saying, we, I think we had three or four days off and I just said some people need to finally stand up and start to tell the truth and talk about how they're feeling and why they are not invested in what we're trying to do at the time. And, um, you know, it didn't necessarily get the desired results, but we started to flesh things out and, and it took a long time and I guess it cost a lot of people their 
their jobs, me included. But um, ultimately, I guess the, the club is finally turned the corner because it, it, it really crippled the club for a long time. Collective mind weren't new to the club at this point, obviously. I mean, the, the team, we're familiar with them and, and we've spoken about the power stance and those sort of things. Now, the infamous camp, which has been done to death, it must be said in terms of it being engulfed by speculation, hearsay and anonymous insights. Why haven't the players actually ever spoken about it publicly and on the record, do you think? I think for the first, well, definitely whilst you're still involved, you you have a duty to the to the club and to your teammates not to really bring the club and 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 the team to into disrepute and that's what that's what would have happened i mean that's what happened anyway because of the speculation and you know people talking and friends and family talking and and um and journalists being able to uncover certain things that happened and 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 as well as there was certain there was there was um aspects that that were that were raised in the public forum which weren't true as well so i guess when it was so secretive things just get out of control but i think when you're involved in the club, you don't want. You're still playing, and you know, I was still playing, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to be spending a Thursday afternoon fronting a press conference or speaking to to the press about how bad this was and how the club had completely, you know, stuffed things up, and then having to go back in Friday and get mm. ready to play a game of footy. So, I think most players felt that way. Um, but it's not until you remove, you know, further removed from it, you understand that it was just a complete miss. Like it was, um, it was, you know, it's quite staggering how how you could um, misread where we we're at as as opposed to what they thought we needed. And that's why I, I said earlier we 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 completely, um, you know, we disregard the the runners up in the grand final and and think they're the ones that need to improve the most. They're actually the team that needs to improve the least. So. We got ourselves um, completely caught up in something that wasn't real and we went down a path which ultimately brought us undone. So the start came quickly for you. The end came relatively quickly for you as well at Adelaide. How did you actually end up falling out of favour at the Crows? Oh, I, I just stuck my head out. I stuck my head up out of the sand one too many times. I've got no doubt about that. I, um, I was um, incredibly vocal and I was um, passionate and I stuck up for people who, who, who didn't feel the, the courage to, to speak up. And like I said earlier, I wasn't the most courageous player on the field, but I was one of um, those with plenty of courage um, when it was, you know, things needed to be said and, and things needed to be brought up and raised. And there was a lot of guys who, who, who would speak to me and would speak to guys behind the scenes, but wouldn't have the courage to, to say it to, the coaching group or the um, or the football staff, the football department. And a lot of the time it was left to myself and left to one or two others. And ultimately I um you know, I think when in any in any forum when you know that it's not always this that individual's message, but it's always that individual that's coming and complaining or being seen to be complaining, you just get fed up with them. And I guess it also um it also came at a time when the Crows knew that they weren't gonna contend for premierships had had plenty of older players on on hefty contracts and I was one of them and I guess I was one that um was expendable and and was able to be moved so as I said 2018 was my strongest individual year I'm I'm um I'm pretty certain of that and think I'm in a pretty good place to judge that and then 2019 I um my last four or five games for Adelaide were were pretty strong as well. And then, you know, as you said, I was um I was gone at the end of the year. So it happened very, very quickly. And I um I would have loved um the opportunity to have played out my whole career there. But things happen. I don't really hold that many grudges or any grudges. And 
um, I um, I pressed on and went to the Cats and uh, became a two-game veteran. Josh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, what an incredible path to the top level you took. And what is clear is you did have a fierce work ethic, a desire to make it, and you achieved some great things in your AFL career, obviously through talent, but also through dedication and hard work. And as we know, we don't always see that in combination in our elite sports people. So well done on all you accomplished, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sam. I'm glad I could um, sub in. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Just jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.